Welcome back, everyone, to the Mind, Heart, Muscle podcast, where we explore the body and mind connection. We train our hearts and our souls and understand what it means to be human. We connect with authors, coaches, doctors, and entrepreneurs to both challenge and develop the way we think and approach our life. If you want to become the best version of yourself, have better relationships, and optimize your health, you'll learn that and much more here. We know you'll enjoy the show, so here we go. What's up, my friends? This is Matt. Um, Going to give you a quick intro before we get into the show. Um, unfortunately, Ron had to do this one himself, so that means the questions are boring. Just kidding. They were awesome questions. This is a great interview that Ron did with uh, Mike Bledsoe. Mike Bledsoe is uh, a pioneer in the podcasting industry. He was the first podcast um, that I've ever listened to, and I believe Ron too. This must have been in 2010 or so. He started, founded Barbell Shrugged. Now, um, I'm sure he likes to be known for a lot of different things. Among that, he was uh, he was in the Navy for an, a couple of years. He had owned an old school CrossFit affiliate, CrossFit Faction, I think founded in 2007. And his podcast, Barbell Shrugged, Barbell Business, and The Bledso Show, taught us a ton about um, fitness and strength and conditioning and, uh, and business. Um, and, and that dynamic that he had on the show is something that a lot of, a lot of other guys try to emulate, and, and they come close. It's tough, though. They, they had an amazing thing going with – countless listeners, hundreds of thousands. Now Mike owns and uh, is the CEO of a company called The Strong Coach. Um, and he'll talk about all that stuff. What I want to say before we start this is thank you so much for your appreciation and your support. Thank you for the feedback you've been giving if you've been listening to our show um, especially the last few episodes that we've done with some really special guests. Uh, we've gotten so much great feedback on the lessons that we've uh, been putting out there and especially on um, our own vulnerability. And this is something that's really cool is when we hear from people that they appreciate hearing us open up and talk about our struggles and our uh, accomplishments in a lot of different ways. It really helps hit home with the lessons that we bring to you from our own experiences and from our guests. And uh, I want to say thank you for the support. And if you have anything, any feedback, any comments, please let us know. Find us on Instagram, uh, Mind Heart Muscle. Shoot us an email. Um, we're at uh, lifebelowparallel.com. You guys um, are what helps us drive this project. And we are creating some awesome things in the future and we want to know what it is that you are looking for. So again, thank you. Enjoy the show, everyone.
This one's a good one. All right. Good afternoon, Mike. I am here solo without Matt for the first time. And my guest today is Mike Bledsoe, the CEO of The Strong Coach. Uh, Mike, tell us a little bit about what The Strong Coach is. Uh, the Strong Coach, uh, I, I created it uh, because I was I was actually nomadic at the time. I was traveling around. Uh, I had uh, just stopped doing Barbell Shrugged as a podcast, and I uh, was not working. I was uh, just enjoying myself and bouncing around the world. And I uh, I noticed that coaches were having a very hard time getting their clients uh, the results they were looking for. I noticed that the communication could be improved. Uh, I, I noticed that a lot of coaches weren't really aware of what was happening for their clients internally that was actually holding them back from getting their, the results that uh, they were paying for. Um, and then I was also witnessing uh, coaches uh, because of uh, having a hard time with that, not keeping clients for longer periods of time. And also just just struggling themselves, and it turned. And I would notice there was this vicious cycle of uh, burnout from the coach, which which kept them from being able to show up for their clients in the way that they needed to show up to get the clients' results. And then uh, this resulted in not making very much money, which meant that they even though they wanted to go get more education, they wanted to get more training, they couldn't afford it. So I, I saw this whole situation playing out and I go, oh, I know exactly what to do here. I know exactly what to teach these coaches. This is, I'm watching these, these uh, coaches struggle so much with something that I had already that I had figured out. And um, I really was inspired to do it because I love coaches. They're my favorite people to hang out with uh, on the planet, first off. Uh, and second off is I was trying not to work. So I did, it just seemed like an easy thing to do. So I, I picked what was easiest. And um, I, uh, it's funny, but I think that most people, one of the lessons I learned in that is most people could be a lot more successful if they stop making life hard on themselves. And uh, a lot of people, uh, most people uh, assume that other people think the way they do and have the skill sets that they have. And uh, more often than not, what I find is what comes easy to one person is actually what they're a genius at. Uh, especially if other people struggle with it and you're like confused why other people can't do what you do the way you do it. You're like, what's wrong with these people? And that's a lot of times we just miss our own genius in that. The, the reason I, I laughed is because it was relatable for me because when I, when I stumbled upon CrossFit, I was, I was trained in jujitsu and mixed martial arts. And I, I, I fell in love with teaching because like I taught somebody how to do an arm bar and I saw the click and I was like, oh man, I want to teach. And I learned about CrossFit and I saw the market that CrossFit was going to be able to provide compared to teaching jujitsu. And I was like, okay, that's the easier route to take. So I, I, that's what was 
uh, relatable for me was that you chose the nice. easy, you chose the easier route. Now, was this was the creation of the strong coach? Was this parallel or before with the way of the unlifted athlete, or or is it something that like kind of triggered one or the other? Uh, it was before. Okay. So, um, you know, I was committed to not working in in twenty eighteen. I love that. I'm committed to not working. It's awesome. Yeah, well, it was the first time I'd ever done it, and um, I well, what what it was was I I one day I I woke up and realized that I had never uh, taken a, a a true vacation. Um, I either somehow like made it work in some way where I would schedule a podcast or I would I, I turned it into work, or I was going along with what other people want to do for their vacation. And, uh, I did not taking that true time to yourself. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, th that's why I was committed to not working is because, uh, <laughs> because of that. But, um, yeah, it came first and, uh, I'd say I, I started the strong coach about four months before the way the enlifted athlete. And so the way the enlifted athlete was something that Mark England and I started talking about and then got his business partner, Adam Chin, involved in. And we wanted to create just a product. The same thing, the Strong Coach was supposed to just be a product. Um, and then as we got into creating that, it, it was obvious it was going to become uh, a full business on its own. So we, uh, I, in, the, in the early stages of InLifted, I helped shift it towards more, coaches because originally it was for athletes um and athletes just were not interested in that type of stuff so we pivoted towards coaches started going that direction and honestly the what what happened was i was running two businesses that were competing with each other uh and decided to just step out of one and and fully uh involve myself in the other so that's a great segue there. Cause you know, one of the things that I was interested in is, you know, how did you make that decision to, uh, to be done with shrugged, you know, like that, cause like that was your baby, right? You know, you yeah. guys, you guys yeah. started that. And, and that was actually my introduction to podcasts. I don't even know how I stumbled upon it, but like I watched and I watched a lot of them on YouTube. So I, I watched so many of those episodes and it's how I, it's how I learned who John North was. It's how I learned who Kendrick Ferris was. It's how I learned who Mark England was like, and, and it's just uh, to watch you guys, you know, and then turn it into barbell business. And then, you know, and then to see you step away from it, like, and then transition into that, you know, one taking a break and then now doing your own thing, like, what was that like for you? Uh, you know, it happened over a pretty long time. Like there was just, there were, there was a lot of things that led up to it, but I was generally unhappy um, with what I had, the way I had built my business. So uh, there were ways in which I was extremely happy with it. And there were other ways I was unhappy with it. Um, and I, uh, I, I think I, I basically had a codependent relationship with my business is what it was. And I, um, 
and I did treat it like it was another human and it, it was weighed on me emotionally. There's a lot of emotional energy that was being spent there. And it was, uh, there's nothing wrong with the business, really. It was more of my relationship to it. And as much as I, for there was a couple of years where I was really trying to shift my relationship to the business. And I got to the point where I go, I actually have to leave the business. I, me trying to shift my relationship to it while being engaged with it is, is uh, it's not happening. It's not happening fast enough. And, um, you know, really tuning into my heart and going, what does my heart want? And my heart is saying, you need a break. And so when I took a break, it was hard. It was hard to have that conversation with business partners, staff. It was difficult to, uh, to explain that to the audience. Um, it was, I really experienced a loss of identity. There was, uh, it was, it was a big deal for me and it was very difficult. Um, and at the same time, extremely liberating. And, uh, so because I was able to like, for the first time in my entire life, like I've been working since I was like 12 years old, uh, and usually working hard. I like, I, I didn't know what it was like to not work hard from a very young age and, to uh, this three years ago. So at the age of 36 to go, you know, I'm actually going to just take a break. Uh, doing nothing and, and screwing off was more challenging than working hard. How do I fill my time with nothing? <laughs> like... Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> that's the, um, if you want to have access to the greatest creative potential, uh, it, the, the, the greatest creative potential comes from nothing, from nothingness. What did, and what did, oh, sorry, holding, go ahead. Holding that is, holding that is, uh, people have a very hard time holding nothing. Can you hold no thought? How long can you hold no thought? Where you just, where nothing comes into your thought pattern and you sit there and it's just blank. Like, right. I, I don't even think I could last 10 seconds. Yeah. It's not going to happen <laughs> but there, but it's, it, and I don't think the solution is to try to make that happen. But when uh, I have, I've found ways of inducing states where I can go to no mind and that's where the most creative potential comes from. What did you learn the most during this? Did you take a break for a year? I intended for a year, ended up being six months. So okay. I left, shrugged, and then I screwed off for six months. And then I got hit off, hit with a, a, a huge dose of uh, inspiration. And that's why I started the Strong Coach. Okay. So two questions. What, what was, what did you, what did you learn the most about taking that six months off? And then what was that dose of inspiration? Um, I don't know. I mean, I just learned how to be. I learned how to, um, I spent a lot of that time really being with the sensations in my body. Spent a lot of time uh, playing. I really, uh, what I would do is I would schedule play. I would go to Costa Rica and hang out for, I went 
like one of my first trips was to Costa Rica for three weeks and just bounced around from hostels. I stayed at a permaculture farm. I slept under mosquito nets and in the jungle. Um, you know, I, I spent days and days and days, you know, not doing anything other than, than going on hikes and, and all that. And there was nothing to do. There was, there was no work to get done. So there was nothing in my mind going, you know, what's next. It was, there were, I really was able to get to a place and it took some time to get to a place where I could really let go of the expectations or wondering what should I be doing or what could I be doing or what's the purpose of my life, which is, you know, what, what most people never take a break from. And, uh, so yeah, I, I learned a lot of those things. And what was the second question? What was that dose of inspiration? inspiration? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, it, it was, um, you know, nothingness is, is a powerful place to come from. I was actually in Austin, Texas, where I live now. I was visiting and I hopped in a float tank and I used to float, you know, hour and a half every week. So, which I need to get back into that. I want to get back into that. <laughs> I, I did that. I did that one time. It was a very interesting experience. Yeah. I, I tell people to float at least three times before making a judgment on it. Okay. Because the first time is it's hard. It was, it was definitely challenging to just sit there and do nothing for an, I think it was an hour that I did and it was just, okay, what do I do? Like the whole concept of idle hands and stuff. Yeah. So you went to the float tank and then what happened? Yeah, I just got in and uh, normally thoughts come and they go and I'm able to let them go. And then this one thought came in for the strong coach and it wouldn't leave me alone. And, um, I was relaxed the whole time and it was a steady stream of information of, oh yeah, just do this, 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 this and launch it. And, uh, people, you know, the right people will show up and it'll be a fun project. And, and it, it was not something where it was, it was not like, oh, this is the purpose of my life for the rest of my life now, but it was something of, I couldn't stop it either. It was as if, it was as if, uh, you know, you call it spirit was moving through me and I was like, oh, I'm going to build a little website. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take applications. I know, I know exactly, you know, what to do to get clients and this and that. And so, so, uh, you know, I was in a float tank on a Wednesday and I launched it on, I announced it on Monday. I uh, built out a webpage and announced it on Monday and then um, I had a uh, hundred applicants within the week. Yeah. So successful in little time and, and not looking, really, no, not really. I mean, I had, I had, uh, six years of barbell shrug. Well, behind I, I was, I, I was going to add that to the, to the yeah. statement that I was making was, you know, you, you had one successful business took a break took a break for a little bit and then you were able to use the the network and the traction that you had gained from barbell shrugged to then launch this um successful business and and you and from the sounds of it you're a lot more fulfilled from the work that you're doing with the strong coach looking back at your time with barbell shrugged um to some people 
that's a that's work that looks extremely fulfilling yet you weren't happy so where does your perception of success sit to make that decision i'm done and then start this new thing and then how long did it take for you to be like oh the work that i'm doing now is the work that i'm meant to be doing and what does that what does that look like for you and how do we help people find that 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 well, fulfillment that success well it's the work that i'm that i'm meant to be doing right now and uh i think that people get caught up in thinking that they're uh a noun and not a verb and i like to remind people that they're a process and so um you're you're what you're meant to be doing um can change it's allowed and uh for one um you know i there were there were moments and aspects of barbell shrug that were just like i said it was very satisfying uh definitely i i, I was living a rock star uh rock star lifestyle at one point it was i was on the road 20 days of the month traveling around the world doing interviews and kicking it with some of the coolest people i was i fulfilled a lot of my dreams um there's a lot most of the success i enjoyed with that company and that that podcast was uh unimaginable to me i i, I couldn't have imagined the how cool it was it was uh extremely cool um you know, and then uh, the, the things that were not fulfilling was like a lot of it was I was a, a new entrepreneur. I was new to business. You know, I had opened my gym at the end of 2007. So I'd say from 2008. Um, and, you know, I, I, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs been in the game a long time. The first decade, the first decade is a lot of lessons. And uh, leadership was a very big challenge for me. Um, as we were growing, um, and not just leadership for the audience, it was more like leadership within the company. And I, um, and I personally made a lot of, uh, shifts internally with my own self and I was going through a lot of discovery and I, um, I had a, I had a difficult time for a while connecting with the, uh, with, with other members of my staff. I, I just, I was spending a lot of time in reflection and that was actually causing some friction in the company. So there's like, there's some things like that going on that made it unfulfilling where like, it wasn't necessarily the work that was unfulfilling. It was just the, it was where I was at in my life that was, I, I had, I was in this super deep spiritual reflective place for for a few years and i mean i still am but it's like i can now like hold both at the same time i was having a lot of i was having a very hard time you know balancing the business with taking care of myself and really getting to know myself <clears throat> so given that from my perspective you've got this successful company and you struggled to feel like you were a success. Do you consider yourself to be a success now that now that you're doing the thing that you believe to be the thing that you're supposed to be doing now? Oh yeah, I feel more successful than I ever have in my life. It's, um, 
you know, and the way I, I look at it now is, you know, I, um, you know, I have a vision of what I want my, for my life in the future. I, I have a, you know, uh, there's a vision of a family in the future and there's things like that. And I am extremely blessed to have been a crazy person early in my life and really put myself in situations where I was forced to learn how to run a business. I was forced to learn about uh, health and performance. I was, I put myself, I, I really put myself out there a lot. I, I spent a lot of time in discomfort and, uh, and, and in so much discomfort that I would make the people around me uncomfortable. And, uh, how so? Um, the, I, I, I would just, I would just go after the biggest, baddest thing I could do all the time. It was, you know, I joined the Navy, so I went to BUDS uh, and, uh, and did Navy SEAL training. I, I didn't complete it. I got, I got hurt and rolled out and, oh. uh, and uh, it actually ended up being a, a DOR. I ended up dropping because uh, I just, I was 19 years old and I was like, I, I got to repeat the training now. Yeah. And I was like, not going to happen. No. So. So I went after that, like, you know, I saw CrossFit. I wanted to, I wanted to podium at the CrossFit games at one point, you know, I was, I, I was competing in weightlifting before that. I, I went all out and, you know, I got into weightlifting when I was 24, 25, 25 and a little late in the game to be a champion and still fucking went really, really hard at it. Um, I, I wanted to be the best gym there was. I tried to make the gym as good as possible and make good money and be able to pay the coaches. I wanted to give my coaches, um, uh, health insurance and like almost no CrossFit gym owners are in that position to do that. And, uh, it takes an incredible amount of focus and hard work to, to take a, an industry where most most gym owners don't have the tools. The business model doesn't quite work for them to have that much enough money to, to turn uh, coaching into a career. And so I, I really committed myself. Once I got a taste, I really knew that coaching was my career and that, uh, and that I was going to be one of the best at it. And then, um, I, I started an equipment business. I wanted to go heads up with Rogue back in like 2009, 2010. I think, yeah. And, you know, put 50 grand of stuff on a credit card and started, I hustled really hard for three months. I broke even, ended up with some equipment for my gym and then got out of the game, realizing that I did not want to do that. <laughs> what was the name of that company? Uh, Faction. Okay. Uh, yeah. Which was also the name of my gym. And, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, and started the podcast. And when I started the podcast, I decided we were going to be the best at that. And, you know, we bought, you know, I invested money in the right equipment and, uh, spent time, you know, figuring out how I was going to make the show work and who was going to be on the show. Um, 
And yeah, really like, like I committed to like all podcasts are in person, professionally videoed, uh, from the start, from the start. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I knew that like I was looking at the industry and I go, I know what it takes to be the best. And it's going to, A, you have to have the best audio because at the time audio was sketch. Uh, and I knew that if I invested enough money in audio, we could win that game. The video, um, you know, there was a, there was a lot of intention, but also some really uh, good fortune that the the guy who ended up running our video for the company CTP Chris Norman, he is a creative genius and uh, he really developed his own skills specifically for that show. And I've actually seen people try to replicate what he did, and I've tried to replicate it with other shooters. And it's just there's something about how he did it. He's just he's an artist. Yeah. So, you know, but also like barbell shrugged another hard position i put myself in is uh i uh i had a lot of creative people and i and i still have this uh, a lot of creative people on my team and not very much organized people so it's it it's a, it's a great environment for starting projects a very difficult environment to finish projects um when you have a lot of creative people on a team and uh it's um and there's also a lot of personalities and when you have a lot of creative people there's a lot of people that want things to be done their way and so it was as everything grew there was more and more ideas about you know it should stay the same it should evolve if it's going to evolve where is it going to evolve all this kind of stuff so um, you know, and then, and then I got into the software game for CrossFit gyms with barbell business and barbell logic. I, I took that on and, you know, there were, uh, yeah, there were years where we made millions of dollars a year and it was, we were good. We, 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 I can sell, <laughs> I can, I can, I can like making money is one of my superpowers. Um, but it wasn't always that way. I, I was broke, so broke, but I needed to hit that rock bottom so that I could, you know, learn how to change my relationship to money and change all that. And, and I, I needed to also make a lot of money and lose it all (laughs) in order to, uh, to have, to, to be in right relationship with it as well. I see that you post on Facebook a lot about money. Um, and, and success. So, you know, that's, that's definitely something that's interesting to me is, you know, um, how did you, what, no, what would you say to somebody that is in that position where they're running a successful company, but they don't feel like they are a success that, that, that they need, but, and they're just terrified to just be like, I, I gotta go do my other, my own thing. I might have to, I might have to hit rock bottom. It's time to go. And they just, they're just, they're dying inside and just continue to wear that stoic mask. Yeah. It usually comes from ego. Um, and you know, how people define ego is, is so I, I, I'm a little, 
wary to use that word because of uh, how much, uh, how the definitions vary. So uh, it could be confusing, but uh, we'll, we'll just call it identity. So uh, especially in the United States, people are uh, highly identified with their profession. It's who they are. And if you were to take that away, they have no idea who they are. And that is what makes it difficult for people to leave. The reason I was able to leave was because I had done a lot of work around my identity. And I knew that I had to sever that identity if I wanted to grow. So your identity is a part of you that will try to survive no matter what. It will create stories. It will it will insert thoughts. Um, it will make you seem like you will fail if you lose this identity because identity doesn't want to die, right? Its job is to keep living. And so the, the biggest growth opportunities that I've come across is being able to let identities die. And, you know, so if somebody wants to do something else and, you know, there's, the identity will create a lot of reasons why they should or should not do a thing. And uh, one of the keys is to stop, you know, is to hear what the identity has to say and then go, thank you. Now, what, is my, what, do, what does my heart want? And tuning into my heart and asking, you know, what does my heart say? And then watching the mind come back and go, that doesn't make any sense. What if, what if this, what if that, what if, what if, what if, what if all these things could go wrong? Um, I'm a big fan of having people write down the worst case scenario and as many worst case scenarios as they could dream up of, uh, yeah, say you left your, your job making good money to do the thing, pursue the thing you wanted to really pursue. And, you know, like I, I've had people do that exercise and they go, I, I might have to move back in with my parents. And I go, is, is that it? Like, is that the only, is that the worst thing that could happen if you follow your heart? Is that you were to live with your parents until you figured it out? That doesn't sound so bad. It sounds, it only sounds bad because of society and well, it's not the, society. The, it's the, well, the what I'm saying is the judgment that comes along with it. That's that's what I'm exactly. Society's not judging you. You're judging you. Right. And people, um, one of the things that people are afraid of more than anything, people will. They're more afraid of this than death. And that is looking bad. It's so true. Yeah, I, I <laughs> you know, and, and some people, you know, the way that people look good is different. Um, you know, uh, I personally, I've got a lot of ego. I want to, I want to look good in a lot of different ways. Like, I want to look good physically. I want to, I want to have a beautiful face. I get, I go to the barber, get my hair cut. I, I treat my beard right. I have a six pack. I'm 39, still have a six pack. Uh, and uh. Uh, the, uh, I, I like to appear as though I make a lot of money. 
I like to be financially successful. That feels good to me. I don't, I don't like driving fancy cars, but I like, um, I do like it when I'm in a room and people are asking me questions about how do I get that? How do I like, it's like your lifestyle is pretty sweet. You work. Okay. You know, you work, but you don't overwork and you, in you are able to invest and all this stuff. So I like that. And, um, but the thing that I don't, that, that is the scariest thing for me for looking bad is, uh, is if someone thought I was dumb. So like, I actually, uh, put intelligence on a very high pedestal. So most people will font, will put something on, on the highest pedestal. And actually, if you would have told me that a decade ago, I would, I would, I wouldn't have believed you, but after doing a lot of reflection, I realized, oh, intelligence is the thing that I value in others the most. Um, and, um, one, one of the ways you can figure out what it is you value is, um, is looking at, uh, how you received love from your father is a really great way of finding out what it is that you value because your value, your father's your first love, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, he's, he's the first person outside of your mother that you really attach to and you'll you're you have your mother's unconditional love like that's a given right but as a child it's like your dad wants you to develop and all this stuff and so for me i i saw my dad as a teacher and so then i started to value i go oh if i want to be loved then i'm going to be like that i'll teach and what do you got to do in order to teach you got to be smart so um People will, and I, I, I've witnessed this big time in the last year and a half. I've watched people get so committed in the one narrative. And there's a, an, an impressive amount of evidence to show otherwise, but people won't, won't back down. They won't back down in the face of incredible evidence. And when I say people, I mean 98% of the population <laughs> won't back down because their mind won't even allow them to see this evidence because the, if they were to, if they were to accept that to be true, then they have to go back and admit to themselves that they were wrong. And then they're going to have to go and tell other people that they were wrong. Why, if, why are and we, if, and if you've never told some, if you've never had to make phone calls and say, I was wrong and apologize, you're a dick that, Everybody should, that's part of becoming an adult, in my opinion. You are, you have yet to reach adulthood if you have, have not done that. Why is it so hard to admit that? Why are we so afraid to be like, you know what? I, I changed my mind about this. Uh, I, I read something, I saw something that just makes more sense to me now. And that thing that I believed before, I, I, I just don't believe to be true anymore. It's, it's, it, does it come back to that identity and holding on to? It's because we think we are our thoughts. So when you believe that you are your thought, you tend to believe your thoughts. So step one is stop believing your thoughts. Uh, you're full of shit. And, uh, step two is just to go, they're just thoughts. 
And one of the, one of the frames that I hold that is really helpful is they're not my thoughts. Even my greatest ideas aren't my ideas. They are just out there for anybody to right. anybody could step in. Capture. Anybody yeah. could step in and do the same damn thing that you want to do. So there's this there's all this collective thought stream flowing through at all times and through experiences that starts from when you're you know born or maybe before that. Um, take out the maybe. Uh, will uh, impact which thoughts you believe in, which thoughts just keep on going. And so identity and beliefs work hand in hand. If I am this way, then I must believe these things. If I believe these things, I am this way. And then you run a filter um, throughout your entire world where you're letting most of the shit pass through not conscious, you know, unconsciously. And then there's a few things that you're, you're actually believing and putting to use. And that's why I was saying is like most people. And, and the reason is, is because we identify as our thoughts. So when we believe that we are our thoughts, and then if we have to say that a thought is untrue, it, it, it there's a fear of death. Like the, like the true sense of, primal i am the cortisol elevates palms get sweaty uh adrenaline goes up face gets red for thing these are all biological responses to stress so that you can prepare for a threat right and the threat is being wrong you know what I mean? And, the, and the, the, threat's no, the threat's no longer a bear chasing you down when you're trying no. to find food. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> and so what we do is we become – I've, I've had a discussions at length with Brian McKenzie. I love his stuff around this. And uh, people have become so comfortable that – their mind is looking for threats where it does not exist. We talk about this a lot. It's, it's on uh, one of our most passionate topics is, is uh, how, how to pursue discomfort in, in, in a way to grow and to challenge yourself. And, and that's, that's been one of the things that I've really identified a lot of the people around me who are, you know, who I believe to be are struggling. And it's just that they're just, they're so stuck in comfort and they're so afraid to leave that. Like they, they believe their thoughts. They, they think, they think they can't get off the couch. They think they can't put down the soda. They think they, they have to stay where they are in order to be who they are when they so desperately want to be something else. Yeah. Yeah. Comfort's addicting. Um, yeah. It, it turns into a pretty big vicious cycle because th th there is something going off inside of the, the amygdala is firing and saying, if you change, you will die. And, and, you know, identity does need to die in that case. And that's, that's partly true, but your physical being will keep going and there'll be parts of yourself you have to leave behind if you want to 
if you want to grow. Um, one thing that just popped in my head is uh, that I'm going to choose to say is uh, <laughs> the you can tell when people are very comfortable when they're easily offended, right? And, yes. And people people may not from the outside looking at people who are getting offended, like, oh, they don't live a very comfortable life. But to them, they're very comfortable. They're very comfortable in their position because if they're focused on what someone else thinks and finding offense because of that, they don't have enough external stress in their life. You know? And I think that the, here's the thing is um, uh, comfort will beget discomfort, right? get comfortable, more comfortable, more comfortable, more comfortable. And then you bottom out. And then, I mean, this happens with people is they, they know, even people who have a six pack, this happens with, they know they're doing something that's unhealthy. They know it, right? They, um, you know, there, there was a point for me, it's like, yeah, I'm doing all the right things, but I still sit under fluorescent lights. I got to get out of here. <laughs> right. But like people know that they're doing something unhealthy, but it's not until they, they go into the dock and find out they have cancer, that they make a change. Right. And then they, they bottom out. They, they, they were, they were so comfortable that they were then faced with the most uncomfortable, one of the most uncomfortable situations of their life, which is like, you're going to fucking die, uh, like really die. Um, and that's why a lot of people, when they, when they get hit with that, then they start making changes. Because, they decide to, they decide but, to actually live. They, they decide to live and well, they stop believing the thoughts because though, uh, the death of identity and the death of, of, of beliefs, and, and replacing that with truth is, um, is, is actually palatable by comparison to, to actual death. So what are the thoughts that you believe now? Uh, I try not to believe any of them. Uh, (laughs) So like what, what I, and what I mean by that is like, um, you know, we could become nihilist, which I definitely went through a phase. It wasn't one of those things where I, I romanticized it. It's just one day I woke up and realized I was nihilist. And, and that is like, I didn't believe anything, you know, the, the universe is, has no meaning and I should just do whatever I want. Cause you know, we're all going to end up dying in some, you know, even if it's a million years from now, you know, the something, the earth isn't going to, and be inhabitable for human beings forever. So uh, maybe, uh, but you know, eventually I think this thing winds down. And so anyways, so I get into those little- <laughs> I, No, I- I, I, I may have just spun some people off into a rabbit hole. <laughs> like, sorry listen, folks. <laughs> listen, I was, I, was, I was watching or listening to Joe Rogan the one time and he said some shit exactly like that about like, what's the fucking point? we're all going to die anyways at some yeah. point. And like, so, but still we, we, you know, we hold on and we keep, you know, we keep trying to, you know, create something. We're all trying to create something. Well, that's the nothing like, we're talking about. Right. Right. Like yeah. Everything that we've ever created is from nothing because it will be for nothing at some point. And uh, so, Oh, I think I may have lost my place. 
It's, <laughs> so you've, you've obviously created something new. So there are some new thoughts that you try oh, yeah. not to, you know, you try not to oh, believe. Oh, so what I do is I just, so nihilism was good for me going through that phase where everything was meaningless because it allowed me to stop believing all my own bullshit. And so um, where I got after that was I started uh, using thoughts and ideas that were useful so most of what people think to be true is been useful for them up to this point. And because it's been useful, they attach to it and they call it, they use the word true or truth, which I think people should be very careful with that word because it's, um, it's uh, usually a lie. Uh, and, and we could go, we could talk about truth for another three hours, but the, uh, but it all come back to the same thing. Uh, I, I just do what's useful now. It's like the thought. I'm like, you know what? That may not be true, but I'm gonna I'm gonna act like it is, and see how that works out for me. And I've been operating like that for years, and it's been extremely useful um, because that makes my identity much more flexible. And so most people, you know, I'm a college student. Oh, I've got this job as a banker. I've got, uh, I'm a CrossFit athlete, whatever it is. They have this identity that they're like, they've had this identity for years, years. One identity for years is what's been ruling their life. And then you make one small tweak and the wheels come off. And so what I like to do is, like, let's, let's create a few identities. Let's exchange these identities. And then you want to get to it and you go, and I go in this situation, I mean, a really easy one is like, I'm a CrossFit athlete and I'm a father, you know, these are two different identities. How, how present can you be in each identity when they're called for, right? When are you being a father and when are you being an athlete and are you fully present for each one when you're, when you're inhabiting that? And then if you can do that, if you can switch between identities quickly and smoothly, then it turns into a flow. And then you're actually present with just what's going on and showing up in a way that is best for you and others in, in every moment. Are we able to create that flow by recognizing the commonalities between the identities? Uh I, I think it requires much more destruction and uh, elaborate, then, elaborate on that. Uh, well, you just have to stop believing yourself. You have to stop believing. And it's not even, that's an untrue statement. So it's because you're not creating the thoughts, but you got to stop believing the thoughts. And not only that you, when you, you know, you have thoughts that are contradictory all the time. So, the step one, and I say destruction because it, to to stop believing the thoughts is a destructive process. So uh, the more I strip away identities, the more I get to the core of who I actually am so that when I step in these situations, boom, boom, boom. I actually don't identify these days much as anything. You know, like people are like, ah, oh, you know, who are you? You know, you asked me, how do you want me to present you at the beginning of this? I said, CEO of the Strong Coach. And I said that because that's 
the place in which I'm going to speak from. Like that, I'm thinking about how people are going to perceive me and what's going to make sense to them. I don't really like, I don't, I'm not attached to that. Like I could seriously, I could leave the company tomorrow. And it would, it would <laughs> not be that big of a deal. So great. Cause that leads me to the, the, one of the questions I've been wanting to ask is you took this break and you found your way back to work. So obviously something has happened to where you're, you're obviously working really hard. Uh, there, I work hard and small sprints. Right. And that's, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to ask you is what do you do to, to balance that out, to, to take the breaks and do the work and have it bring you the fulfillment that you were looking for? Um, you know, I schedule in things that I enjoy and I, and I also introduce novelty and I, I take, you know, I'll, I'll learn something new. I'll, I'll sign up for a class or something like that. So I like novelty. Um, you know, I've learned how to spend hours in the park with, with, uh, you know, a book and, and uh, by myself on a, on a blanket uh, that impossible before, you know, and it really comes down to scheduling. It really does come down to going, okay, on Tuesday afternoon, I'm going to the park because that's what I'm doing. And there is no thing to do when I get there. I'm, I'm not getting better at anything. I'm not learning anything. I'm there for enjoyment. So really scheduling things that are enjoyable in. Um, I, used to, I used to be nomadic, so I was just always traveling. So that made it easy. Uh, I was constantly in novel environments. Um, yeah. And you got to schedule vacations. I'm going to Mexico for 10 days on Thursday. So, uh, and and we're going to kick it. We're going to, we're going to go to Tulum and we're going to, we're going to chill at the beach and, you know, I'll probably work if I feel inspired and, you know, here and there, but how, how much power do you feel when you get to say that I will work if I feel inspired? That's, that's a powerful statement. Oh, that's, uh, you know, I think it's more powerful to work when you're not inspired. (laughs) I just, I, I see it as the fact that you know that you can make the choice. If I do some work on this trip, it'll be awesome. But if I don't do any work on this trip, it'll be awesome. Right. And, and you don't feel obligated. Like, yeah, no pressure. Yeah, no, pressure. no pressure. Yeah. It's, um, it's about enjoying myself. And if I'm going to enjoy myself working, then I'll work. Um, you know, and I, you know, and, and the work will probably be like creative in nature. It'll be the stuff I enjoy doing. I won't be in there, you know, tweaking sales funnels or anything like that. I'll be, you know, I might do some writing, you know, uh, the things I, the things that really inspire me. So, uh, yeah, those are the things it, 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 it's normal to me now The the, what, when you, when you said it's powerful, like I said, is, to me, it's more powerful in my own life at this point is on the days I don't feel like working because I have a team is showing up and saying, even though I don't feel like it, and I'll be honest with them too. I'm like, today's not the day for me, guys. 
And uh, just so you know, and they, they go, okay. And I'm here and present anyway, and we're going to do our, our, we're doing our best no matter what. So I find that to be uh, like a, a more powerful thing for me, but that the, the, it's old hat for me. Like I, I talk to people who have jobs now and I've had people ask me like, what if you had to go back to work? And I'm, I'm just like, I, I don't know what you mean. Like, I, like, it's like, they're like, well, what if it was the only way you could make money? And I'm going, I, I can't even comprehend that. There's, uh, I, I, no money. It's like, well, I guess I would just like hunt and gather my food, I guess, and move to a nice forest. Um, there's just, there are these things that I, the way I, the way I live my life, or there's a lot of non-negotiables. And what I find is a lot of these non-negotiables that a lot of people are afraid to put in place. Like I'll, I'm going to go on vacation for 10 days and I'll work if I feel inspired. That sounds insane to most people. And the thing is, is they go, well, how can you do that and be successful? Right? I couldn't do that. It's like, look, most people look at that as the result. And they go, look, if I do these things and if I, if I am financially successful enough, then I could be in a position where I could vacation and yada, yada, yada. The way I see it and the way I've experienced it in my own life and I've witnessed it in other people's lives is it's taking the vacation and working when you're inspired that creates the life and the success that allows that to keep going. You just have to start doing the thing that you want and it'll be ugly and messy and you'll feel like a failure at times and you'll experience defeat and you'll cry. You'll get angry. You'll throw things. Uh, and, uh, over time you've learned all, all suffering is a lesson, right? And so if you can be with that suffering and learn the lesson, then you'll, you won't make the same mistake twice and you'll make changes. And next thing you know, you're on a, like your whole life's a vacation. What are your non-negotiables? non-negotiables ah <sighs> uh i have what are my non-negotiables That's good. um i i will do what i want um i will uh i won't work for money i'll say that like uh there's not a uh like yeah that's just that's like an internal non-negotiable Right. There's there's internal boundaries and external boundaries. An internal boundary I have is I don't work for money. Uh, what do you work for then? For fun. I um I see a, I see how I want things to be different in the world, and I do things to make that happen. Um, and then and then my job also is, is to make sure it makes money, because money is the fuel. For, to make things work. So if I want to accomplish some stuff, I have to make enough money to pay staff. You think I'm going to have a super highly committed staff that can't pay their bills? That's not going to happen. So like the, the, the work I do, what I choose to do for my work, I'm not saying it's like always fun and easy, 
but I do it because I, I, of the change I'm making in the world. And it's something I'm passionate about, not because, um, I'm going to get a sweet 401k and, uh, health benefits out of it. So you work, you don't work for money. You take vacations. Is, lots of vacations. Lots of vacations. I'd, is, say, I'd say in the last three years, I've been on vacation probably, this would be conservative, 200 days of the year. Over half of my time was on vacation. That's awesome. What about daily movement? You know, like, what does that look like for you in a sense of, is that a non-negotiable for you? Oh yeah. Da- daily movement. I have a morning, I have a little morning ritual where I move for 15 minutes every morning. I, I move, I breathe, I drink water. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a good 20 minutes there in the morning where there's that. And then the bonus is, you know, some meditation, uh, journaling, uh, I journal at some point every day, but, uh, sometimes it doesn't happen first thing. Sometimes I move into other things. I, I really go with what I feel like. That's that seems to be the common theme with you, Mike, and I I really appreciate that. That's such a I go with what I feel like, and if there were if there was more of that in the world, a lot of people would be a lot happier. Yeah, well, people got to be careful with that, you know, because it's an oversimplification of what's really going on. Like I I go with where I, I follow my heart. Like I, I check in with, yeah my heart is tugging me in a direction and, and, and I used to ignore it with all these, you know, by believing all these thoughts. So, um, I think a lot of people, you know, like I feel like eating this chocolate cake right now, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, there's this instant gratification versus there's a difference between like doing something that's going to comfort you in the moment and, and pleasure seeking, and I'm a big fan of pleasure. I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock it, but, uh, you have people who, uh, if you're unhealthy and you're finding food pleasurable, then what's happening is that there's a pleasure seeking behavior. There's a, a comfort that comes with the food and, uh, you are willingly sacrificing your future for, just a little bit of comfort right now. And so like, if you're following your heart, if you actually loved yourself, if somebody is overweight, they're sick and over being overweight is just a symptom of being unhealthy. And if you're, if, if you're unhealthy and you still make poor choices, that's a lack of self-love. You know, I don't actually care about myself. I would rather, I would rather experience pleasure than take care of myself. So would you say that it's okay to do what you want to do as long as there's a sense of delayed gratification involved? Uh, no, I, okay. I, 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 I use delayed gratification as an example, but um, you, what, what where people really need to do is they need to zoom out on their life when they're making these decisions. Most people are super narrow and in the moment. Um, And it's not so much about delayed gratification as it is, is just understanding the impacts, the total impacts of eating that, that donut. I eat the donut. It tastes good for 10 seconds. 
And then 20 minutes later, I'm lethargic. My, I can't think very clearly for four hours. Um, I, I, I'm looking at the big picture. I'm going, it doesn't seem like delayed, delayed gratification to me at all. It's like, it's like you, can, you need to expand your perspective or your consciousness in, in two ways. There's two dimensions in which that expansion is, is a good idea to take on. And one is space. How much space can you consider? What's your impact in the moment on yourself and on the space and the people around you? And can you, could you, how far can you extend that consideration? And then secondarily is time. How much, how much time are you considering when you're making choices? Are you, are you able to think five minutes ahead? Are you able to consider a year ahead? Are you able to consider five years, 10 years? Recently, I started thinking generationally. Most people can't even put together a 90-day plan for something. No wonder you can't be successful. You got to start thinking. You got to expand your your consciousness. And when I say consciousness, I just mean perspective. Expand your perspective to consider more. And then if you can be a good steward with more space and more time, you'll be given more to manage and steward. And so people, so it's not always delayed gratification. It's, it's taking a much more holistic view of, of what's actually the impact of your, your actions. It sounds like you've got a pretty rock solid view on your current life. Is there anything that you still feel is missing? Um, you know, I, you know, there, there, I am in the perfect place for myself right now. And I have a vision of the future, which is different. And that includes, um, farmland that includes more nature. Um, I spend more time in the city than, uh, I would prefer to spend more time in nature. Um, I am going to be, uh, getting back into podcasting here in the next uh, couple months, like full blown YouTube going to do the whole thing. Um, well, you got to be the best, right? That's right. <laughs> so I, so there's things that, you know, and I want a family, I don't have a family right now. And so there's all these things that I do want, but I'm not experiencing the, what I used to experience, which is, oh, I regret the decisions I made. Uh -huh. And now I'm not in the position, I, you know, oh, you know, I'm like, I'm like, no, nah, I, I fucking, I love my life. Everything I've done at this point is awesome. I'm enjoying the ride. Uh, and I, I like right now, I was like, I needed to just rent a house for a year so I could, I could structure my business in a way that allows me to make some smart investments. And then I can live on the farm. Like, like it's all in preparation. I go, oh, I have to do that. You know, I'm thinking, I'm, 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 I'm having an expanded perspective and because I'm considering more time and more space. That's awesome. 
going to go completely off topic here just because it's a, a personal little interest, but I was, I was hoping that you could tell me a really fun or your favorite Chris Moore story. Whew. Chris Moore story. Uh, <laughs> like uh, ha- having the, oppor- having there's the opportunity. Not, there's some meet- stories I'm not sure I, I should share. Um, <laughs> but having uh, the opportunity yeah. to meet you guys, like just, he was just one of the most interesting human beings I ever got the chance to meet. And yeah. you know, you got to know him. You got to spend so much time with him. So crazy a, amount of time yeah. so a, a good fun chris moore story would be awesome to hear oh, man there's so many <laughs> they usually involve like substances <laughs> that's the thing <laughs> so uh yeah i remember uh, when he launched barbell buddha we're i think we were in columbus ohio i have a hard time keeping up with what city i was in yeah we were in, we were in a hotel and we had all eaten uh, pot cookies. We had all eaten some edibles. And because that's what you do. Like we, we were traveling around and staying in hotels and Airbnbs. And we were just, we would be dog tired. You know, we'd be changing time zones and missing sleep and pounding coffee to get to the interview on time and then winding down. I get why athletes do that a lot now too. Uh, is uh, so uh he he i think he and ctp ate too much and so they're so like we're setting up the podcast in the hotel lobby and it's just it's um and and we've been podcasting for years at this point we're pros and just can't get the gear to work and just it it, it was a mess ended up being a really fun show but, um, man, you know what? I'm going to think of a story as soon as we get off of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to think of a story like, oh, people would love that that story. There, there's something that happened that just, man. All right. I, I apologize. Now uh, now no. I know that, that question could happen in the future. So I'm going to, I'm going to like tuck away a <laughs> more story that, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. What's the most important thing that you could say to close this with? You are responsible for your life 100%. If you have any complaint, it's your fault. And it's time to fix it. And if you choose not to fix it, then your life going the way it's going to continue going is uh, is going to be your fault. Um, and I... I <laughs> It may seem a little strongly worded. I, I used to say it's not your fault, but now that you have the awareness, it is your responsibility to make the change. Um, but I imagine most people listening to this are an adult. Um, they may be, you know, they're old enough. I think anyone over the age of 15 should have this concept drilled into their consciousness. And it's not even about, to me, it's not about, it being drilled in their consciousness, there's so much bullshit that's keeping people from recognizing that they're responsible because there's, it's not something to learn. It's, you have to unlearn blame. You have to unlearn uh, that you're uh, a victim. Uh, You have to unlearn all these things that the, 
the human mind loves to put itself in the position of victim and say, oh, it's not my fault. And there's nothing I can do about it except to complain. It's like, no, stop complaining and make the change. Thank you so much for your time, Mike. Where can people uh, find you and what should they be on the lookout for? Oh man, there's no telling uh, what they should <laughs> look out for. Uh, yeah, uh, Instagram, Mike underscore Bledsoe. Uh, my my uh, company is The Strong Coach. If you just Google The Strong Coach or type thestrongcoach.com into the, the URL bar there, you'll get there. Um, yeah, I, I do have a podcast coming soon. I have no idea. I don't know if I'm going to revive the Bledsoe show. I don't know if it's going to be uh, a brand new show. I, I started playing around with the idea of bringing in co-hosts again. Um, I might do like seasonal co-hosts. Who knows? Um, <laughs> so I'll be launching that. The Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm working. I got I'm, I'm involved in this new project called Opus. And it's a, we, we, we'll call it like the Peloton of emotional well-being. And right. uh, it's a table that folds up nicely. It's beautiful. Um, I, think, I think the website's Feel Opus. Okay. You go there and I'm going to look it up real quick, quick to be sure. Uh, it's a bed that it's not a bed you sleep on yeah it's feelopus.com and what it does is it will take you on a journey and you there are different programs that are set up in this uh device and you put on headphones you lay on it and the bed will take over your body and it will it will control your breath. It'll control your heart rate, all through vibration and sound. And uh, it, it's a it's a table for uh, healing. And it all, uh, yeah. This is this is some science fiction stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think you can still reserve. Yeah, I'm I'm on the website right now. This is definitely very interesting. Yeah, yeah, you can still put in a deposit on it. Um, yeah, the price is the price is ridiculous. I'm gonna tell you right now, the price is it's um, I've been on the bed. I I've I I was I was the first one on the prototype. Uh, I uh, the guys that built it. I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I got on it the first time I got on it. And then just, it was one of the most powerful experiences I'd ever had from a piece of tech from vibration and sound. Right. And, um, so when they launched the company, I said, I got to get in on this. That's uh, awesome. And, um, so they're doing pre-orders right now and that's launching this year. And, um, yeah, look out for that because awesome. I'm going to be involved with that in some capacity. I'm not sure what it is yet, but, you know, I might just be a, a proponent and investor and that's it. Awesome. Thanks again, Mike. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
if you loved this podcast, then share it. Tell all your friends. Hit the copy button, copy the link. Choose five friends in your contact list on your phone and send it out. Let them know what they can expect from it too. Because we are on a mission here to change the world and we want to help as many people as possible. So if you know anyone who can benefit from hearing what we have to say or what our guests have to say, then send it over. It's not going to do them any good if they don't hear it. Another way you can support us and support the podcast is really simply go on to Apple or go on to Spotify and rate the thing. Give us a five-star review. Write us a little note. Let us know how we're doing. Shoot us a DM on Instagram. Whatever it takes, let us know so we know that we're on the right track. And we know that we're providing content that is actually relevant to what you are needing and what you are looking for. And if it's not, hey, maybe we can help. So do your job. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it.